Previously on No Man's Land. No Man's Land? Yes. I don't like to go there. You just, you just get a sense of something not right, you know? The area has a history of violence supposedly going back to the 1600s. Like every time I pass this place, I think about it. I'm like, oh God, that's, you know, that's where the murder happened. <laughs> it was almost like Highland Park had their own little Bermuda Triangle. Mark and Will are my sort of point men on the show. They're the hosts of the podcast. And oh, yeah, listen, man. Yeah. Listen, no. I, I know I said, uh, I know I said I talked to you guys about this, but uh, I mean, you got to understand, uh, I spent like all this time trying to get away from this shit. You know what I mean? Because yeah, I mean, I'm having like nightmares again ever since you mentioned this. We all agreed on absolutely one thing, that this incident, this horrible, horrible thing that happened, clearly goes back to no man's land. And I, to this day, have never gone back there, and I'll never go back there, ever, ever. After that night, he, he, it's almost like he was possessed or something. There was something just off and wrong, and... Yeah. It's the kind of thing that tells me that evil does exist and you want to stay away from it. Live from Highland Park High School in Highland Park, New Jersey, this is No Man's Land, an original podcast from WVHP Media. Episode 2, The Flopheads. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Armerica. And I'm Will Schwartz. And you are listening to No Man's Land, an in-depth investigation into a mysterious section of woods in central New Jersey of the same name. Today, we'll be discussing the horrific incident that took place in the early 80s under the Route 1 bridge in Edison, New Jersey, yet still has deep roots in No Man's Land. Before we get started, though, we want to give you an update on a few of the lingering issues from our last episode, which explored the brutal murder at the Merriwold Castle back in 1963. We've been investigating two of the claims made by the medium that we brought to the castle, both of which involve the spirits of dead young women that were haunting no man's land. Or Marilyn, something like that. I believe she went missing. And I do believe it must have been around 1982. So she was murdered back there, and her body was carried. I feel she was murdered back there and was carried out. I do believe there was another woman that was here as well. Do you know how she was killed? I feel she was in a car accident over in that area. Yeah, I just feel the energy. So, so far we've had no luck finding any missing persons in the area during that time period by the name of Marilyn, Mary Lynn, or even just Mary. That doesn't mean there wasn't any, just that the Highland Park Police has no case of missing women by that name. However, we have discovered the existence of an apocryphal ghost story about the spirit of a young woman who was killed in a car accident that supposedly haunts Cedar Lane on the edge of no man's land. We're currently interviewing drivers who've had bizarre experiences on this desolate stretch of road, and again hope to have more in episode 3. And now, to the Flopheads. Personally, I'd never heard of the incident in question until we interviewed retired Highland Park Police Officer Michael Jarmus. After 1985, I pretty much didn't want to have anything to do with the area. We'd originally approached Officer Jarmus to discuss his role in the Castle murder investigation. However, it was during this conversation that we discovered why he prematurely retired. In 85, 
there were a bunch of kids from Highland Park and Piscataway called themselves the Flopheads. And they would hang out there and, and uh, you know, drink and smoke weed and uh, kind of innocent teenage stuff. But then uh, one of the kids, he was kind of more out there, got uh, three of them to come with him down to the Route 1 bridge. And uh, he uh, killed two of them and himself, stabbing them with uh, glass and pieces of metal, I think it was. The really strange thing about it was uh, that he'd written all this strange graffiti all over. It was kind of a strange language that nobody could decipher. And uh, that was almost as, as chilling as, you know, the, the, the blood on the scene. Uh, that one stayed with me, yeah. We're joined again by John Hume, local filmmaker, Highland Park High School, class of 1987. Class of 1987, you're not supposed to reveal how old I am and these kind of things. Um, you know, it's funny, my memory of this incident is hazy at best. I do remember hearing about it, but it almost occurred to me as like something that happened in the next town over. Because it was under the Route 1 bridge, it felt more like an Edison crime or an Edison story than a Highland Park story. And when you're living in a town this small, it almost feels hermetically sealed and things that happen even you know in the next town over don't really affect you that much. I was totally unaware that this, this murders or murder-suicides involved kids from Highland Park. The group of people we're talking about now, the Flopheads, they were just this incredibly cool-looking sect of the high school community that I had no relationship to because I was like a weird combination of a jock and a nerd. Like I played sports all day and read comic books and watched movies all night. One of the great joys of this episode is getting to reconnect with some of these people who I befriended as adults. Um, as the story goes, the Flopheads used to party out in no man's land in the vicinity of the castle from episode one. Um, and they would go out there and party with kids from Edison and Piscataway. And one night, a kid named Leo brought a Ouija board, and they had a really weird incident out there, and a lot of people think that that was the incident that led to what happened under the bridge. Jenny and Becca Chapman are the owners of Over the Moon Toys, a popular boutique toy store in town. It's situated right on the main street of Highland Park and shares space with the sister's other store, Through the Moon Gate. It's kind of a new agey arts and crafts store. I was joined by field reporter Sandra Ahmed. Do you know what the flop heads are? And if you do, do you know how they looked? <laughs> yeah, I was a flop head. <laughs> so the term flop head was what you might consider the punk rock kids um, in the mid 80s. Kids like, that liked punk rock music and that kind of thing would part the hair on the side and wear a bob. So it would come across your face like this, and you'd go like this so you could see. So you were a flophead. <laughs> but yeah, I was one of <laughs> I was one of those. I, I'm pretty sure all through no, not all through high school. It felt like it. Like only half of my face was showing. <laughs> Completely covered. I feel like I have to get out of yearbook now. So during the interview, Jenny and Becca tilted their heads to one side in the exact same way, and just for a second, the two moms showed a flash of their inner punk rock teen. Was there a certain kind of personality that became a flophead? Yeah, I would say that it was somebody who maybe didn't feel like they fit in otherwise. Just not fitting in. You kind of, pride, you know, you, we would pride ourselves on not fitting in mm -hmm. and doing things differently. 
a bunch of artists and scientists and musicians, a lot of musicians. The Chapman sisters definitely seemed to be enjoying their blast of the past, but all that changed when we decided to ask about the incident on the bridge. The tenor of the conversation abruptly changed. Can you tell us what happened under the bridge? Under the bridge? Yeah. I wasn't there. I, I heard about it. Like you mean with Leo? Yeah. What happened? Well, like I said, I wasn't there. Mm -hmm. You know, at, at this point, it's a, a strange jumble of memories. But um, I think I'd, I'd kind of treat that just like any other story on a grapevine. Leave it at that. We also reached out to former flophead Pete Horvath, who still lives in Highland Park as well, where he plays guitar and sings in several bands. Back in high school, Pete was considered the resident musicologist, which became apparent when we asked Becca Chapman about which punk groups the Flopheads were into. Pete Horvath is the one that you should ask about that. I think he'd have pretty strong opinions, actually. He'd be very disappointed in my answer. He wouldn't want me to be vague. <laughs> Um, a lot of punk and post-punk stuff, you know, Black Flag, Dead Kennedys, uh, Jesus and Mary Chain, Depeche Mode, uh, Joy Division, The Replacements. Yeah, all bands that I didn't listen to. Right. No, I was definitely not cool enough to listen to any of those guys. I don't hold that against you. play sports so well okay then what else do you do you know you, you listen to music so that's you know the people I kind of gravitated to oh I see this t-shirt you're wearing do you like punk rock that's how you did it <laughs> you just kind of okay nice t-shirt and you know we just, we hung out and we got wasted and listened to music and went to see bands and we're in bands and it was a good time so tell them how Pete reacted when you asked about the bridge. I felt like he was—he basically had suppressed everything really deep. I don't think probably hasn't said a word about it since it happened. Leo, uh, Leo, I—I'm assuming it was Leo. I don't know. Basically, everybody's who was there—they all, well, their their throats were slashed. And, you know, I, I think the, uh, well, there was, sorry. You know, to talk about it is hard. It's just imagine, like, three of your friends. It was, it just shook stuff up. How could it not? You know, how could it not? And it's just, like, part of the story of the flopheads, you know, like, what happened? I don't know what happened. We're joined by two of our uh, field reporters. Jamira Duran. Sandra Ahmed. Who interviewed Neva Madaliano. I wanted to come close to us. Never mind. <laughs> so Neva lives down at the Jersey Shore where she lives with her two kids. And uh, amazingly enough, she's a math teacher now uh, because back in the day, she was definitely, as far as I was concerned, the most intimidating of the flophead. She just 
always dressed in this amazing sort of thrift store gear and had black eyeliner. And um, again, we probably never said a word to each other until we were about 35 years old. So it was just really cool to bring these guys down to the shore and uh, interview Neva and her house. Yeah. Everybody, this is Neva, this is Sandra, Jamira, and Alicia. Welcome. So, yeah. yeah come, come on, feel free to... Uh, it's always good every to dish in my house is dirty. so good here. The inside is smelled good. It smelled like tea and like those little stick thingies. I don't know what they're called. She was burning sage. She was like, um, I don't want any bad energy. I only want good energy, so I'm burning sage. She had like nice, like silky hair. Like it was like really nice and long, like a silver color, green eyes. She looked calm and like happy. Eighth grade is when the flop heads really started forming and Dave Rock came into the scene. So we thought we were like really badass and wore like green army jackets and play music, smoke cigarettes. All we ever did was smoke cigarettes. In the smoking area, we had a smoking area at the high school, like <laughs> so funny. And we would all merge there too, all the different groups. Smoking was like this big thing. So we would go to No Man's Land and smoke. We would go out there to get away. You know, we were in the woods. And we liked the solitude, and we liked the adventure, and we liked the edginess of it, you know. And we could do what we wanted. Yeah, it was creepy, it was, you know, but I liked creepy, we liked creepy. Creepy was cool. Again, Jenny Chapman. You know, if you're, if you're a teenager and you want to hang out with your friends and find places to hang out without grown-ups interfering, let's just say, or getting in the way, that's where you're gonna go. Pete Horvath. No man's land, yeah. It's one of those don't go there at night yeah. kind of places because weird stuff happens. I'm not really heavily into that sort of thing, but it's a, it's a place to go. When you don't have a place to go, you know, sometimes we'd run into people, friends, flopheads, metalheads, whatever. And we were so excited when we started to discover other groups of people like us in neighboring towns. And so then it just, it was a scene. It just got bigger. We knew a little bit about the background of the place. You know, maybe it was haunted. You know, was somebody murdered here? And that kind of thing. You know, are there ghosts? And that you know, just added to the level of mystery. Jeff Mashey works for Rutgers University, but back in the 80s, he was a flophead from the neighboring township of Piscataway. Jeff sat down for a visit with the field reporters in our digital storytelling class. What was the difference between the flopheads in different towns? They weren't that different, really. I mean, they, I mean, I didn't get the haircut myself. <laughs> I used to make fun of their hair all the time. You should cut your hair like a real rock and roll guy. Did you like being a flophead? I liked having a community of friends. I like being part of a group that, that I could count on, and I like to think they could count on me as well. And you had to meet in person. This wasn't really, there was no online then. You had, to, you had to make friends, you had to make phone calls to people. And we had record stores then. You can congregate in a record store and talk about, talk about you know, the section of music to trend to. And I was into the, the West Coast punk, which is a little bit different scene. I mean, some people were more metal, like this guy Leo. Leo was, he was sort of a punk rock, metalhead, hybrid kind of guy. He had a really intimidating look, but he was a really nice guy. Becca Chapman. I knew Leo. Um, big guy. Yes. 
always dressed in like uh, dark clothing. Um, my sister might remember more. He had dark hair. I think that he dyed it. Bands on his arms and things with the spikes on it. Always, always, always had a leather jacket on. And it had patches with his favorite bands on it. He was more of a metalhead, you know? Really imposing guy. Leather jacket, big, you know, Slayer painting on the back. He was a really nice guy when I first met him. You know, we weren't into the same kind of music and we had a different group of friends for the most part, but he was someone I would hang out with if he was around and he was really friendly. The coolest dude, like the most mellow, you know, guy ever. Always nice to me. Always nice to me. He was really scary, but he, he was actually like, in my opinion, a gentle spirit. How did her mood change when you started talking about like Leo and the bridge and all the not so great stuff that happened? She was like all happy and excited. And then once we started talking about it, she started getting like down and just like, uh, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Is it true that you guys had a weird experience in No Man's End with the Ouija board? Yeah. Um, I seem to think it was in the fall. It was actually Leo who wanted to bring the Ouija board out. I mean, we go out one day and he goes, I have a surprise. And he had this backpack and uh, everybody was there. It was like seven people, eight people. And um, he's like, Ouija board. I always had a big fear of this kind of Ouija board stuff. I do it to this day connected to this, but I always did anyway. You believe in witchcraft or you dismiss it? Well, it's sort of the same thing, you know, you, do you believe in the Ouija board, that it moves by itself or by whatever force or, you know, is somebody pushing it? It's a very fine line between, you know, belief and you're starting to freak me the fuck out because, because. Like, I guess he was trying to contact the ghost. We knew that there was, you know, the history of a murder there. And, you know, there was a little bit more of a dark side with some of our friends and some of the extensions to our group, so. Who touched the Ouija board? Like, who put his fingers on it? Yeah, Leo did. Yeah, Leo did. Did you? Um, no, my gut was telling me not to. I didn't even know how it really operated, but he seemed to know. Leo seemed to know how to do this. And some of the people with us did know how to do it, too. I think his girlfriend, Dawn, knew how to do it. And there was this girl, well, there was this girl named Nancy that I had a, she was from Moscato. I had a, I had a crush on her, and I, she's the one that I really wanted to, you know, hang out with, and she was friends with Dawn. And Nancy was from a different town, and she came around our school, um, and they would, um, that's hard to talk about, Nancy. She's a little like, like freaked out by it, I think, but she kind of just, just went along with Leo. And he started to ask it questions. What's the first question you ask a Ouija board? Usually they say, is anybody, is anybody there? There was nothing happening at first, you know, everybody was laughing and then the, the pointer thing started to move. You know, is there anyone here? with us tonight? Yes. So that kind of made my bullshit meter go off. He said, who are you? What's your name? And it was like, and we're like, what? There's all these consonants. There was no vowels, so 
I think it was like C H Y G B. I don't remember at this point. It was dark. He had candles. And um, Pete was like, he, because he's always writing songs and stuff, he had a notebook. And so he started writing down the letters. It didn't look like a, a language, you know? It looked like gibberish. You know, and everybody's like, yeah, Leo, stop fucking around, whatever. And uh, he's like, no, man, it's not me, it's not me, it's cool, you know? And he, like, you know, he sat out a, a round and, and they, they asked again, you know, do you have a name or who are you, what is this? And it, they did it, you know, it was the same name. The third time when that weird name came up, I got out of there. I left. It, my anxiety kept increasing more and more the more that I kept playing games with it. I didn't want to see it at the beginning. I just wanted to have some beer and hang out and listen to some music. I... And then Leo, you know, he went back to the circle and he's like, what are you guys doing? This is, it's not words. I wrote it down again. Okay, it's the same weird word. And, you know, I'm like, okay guys, this isn't cool anymore. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. I have like a certain respect for places and things and, and the way they should be. And I didn't feel like uh, this was going in a good direction. Like just something inside of me said, leave, Neva, just leave. All right, this is enough. Uh, let's just go. The goal for me was to get to know Nancy a little better. I tried to get her to go with me. She didn't want to go. She wanted to stick around and see what happened. So she was, you know, she turned on and really, were really tight, you know, and I liked Leo. Leo was all right. So they stayed. Is that the book that you had out in No Man's Land? Yeah. Can we take a look at it? And can you show us the pages? Do you still have the pages that were you were writing on there? Yeah. I still have the pencil. The original pencil. Yes. The book was like an old tattered beaten like journal that you'd see like like from like a movie if someone like opens like a drawer and, like finds like something for like a clue or something like I mean it's what almost 30 years old oh yeah that thing so, is crumbling and barely yeah, held no, together it, yeah, it was, and seeing the letters in the book so at this point you're just like this is gibberish this isn't yeah. working at what point in the sequence did you start to go holy shit this is all the same uh somewhere a year <laughs> <laughs> you know I'm like wait a sec and that's where Leo came back into the circle. Did anybody Dude. try to pronounce it? I didn't. I like other people were trying. It looks like something Scottish. I don't know. <laughs> to me. After that, you just... after that, I stopped writing in this book. Even if you don't believe in the Ouija board, which I don't, I don't know, but like. If someone was moving at you, there's no way you would be able to possibly remember like that random letter combination four times in a row. So like, it was it was spooky. And Mark, have you seen the book yet? I have not seen the book. Oh, okay, so I got to make sure you get to see the book. You have to see the book. It's, um, it sounds like something out of Scooby-Doo. It is. The book was insane. Is it true Leo started acting strange after that night house? So. Yeah, this is so weird. That's why I think to even think about it again. Um, yeah, he did. After that night, he, he, it's almost like he was possessed or something. He just didn't seem right. He didn't seem... He didn't seem like Leo to me. The last couple times I was with him, there was something off and wrong. And... Yeah. Then I heard that uh, Leo was acting out of sorts 
Like, were there any rumors about his behavior in terms of beyond him just you being mean, cold in you district? Mean, you mean that he broke his fingers? Yeah, that, that that's what that's what we're referring to. Is that right? Yeah, that's. I that's don't what even know if I should talk about that. But with her, it was like intense, kind of like, you know, no, getting creepy like, and stuff and scary. Yeah. What do you mean when you said she started getting creepy and scary? Because like, she started like answering the questions and like she would like stare at one little thing while she's talking about the scary stuff. It was so weird because she started touching her fingers and we were talking about the breaking fingers. It's just bizarre. I mean, he broke his fingers. Did he broke his own him? fingers. You see him breaking his fingers, or you just heard about it? No, I didn't see him doing it. I saw him afterwards. Lee was always one of these guys. He was cracking his knuckles a little bit. He used to make jokes about cracking his knuckles. You know, he used to make them loudly. But then, this is like two or three days after the incident, I heard a loud crack, like he cracked a big knuckle. And he, he actually just broke his finger. You know, and you could hear it crack. It was like snapping a twig. And he would. Instead of like crying in pain, he would just he would just laugh. He would say, "Oh look, I broke my finger. Look," and he'd show me. I said, "Don't show me. I don't want to see that, right? What's the matter with you?" So he'd try to pop it in, and he'd learn how to do it a little bit. The first few times, he had to go to the nurse. His family tried to treat him for it because he was well, you know, like how a cutter cuts their own skin with their mentally disturbed in some way, or to have some trauma or something. Sort of like that, like he was doing it to himself. Dawn told Nancy, and Nancy told Dave Rock, and, and, and everybody found out, you know, through through channels. And that's kind of weird. It was really strange. It was really strange. And I asked Dawn about it. I said, what's, you know, what's up with Leo and the fingers? And she, she had no idea either. Because look, he's just going through a phase right now. He'll, he'll be okay. Then, not long after that, there was the whole bridge. Did he invite you to go? Yes. And you said no. No, no, no. He invited us to go to the Route 1 bridge. So this is like opposite end of Highland Park. There's no man's land. And then there's the Route 1 bridge up by the flea market. It's not the flea market anymore, but it was. And uh, I was like, no, that's all right. I'm gonna skip. And um, so do you guys know what happened? Do you know about Nancy and Dawn and Leo? Yeah. You do? Okay, so you know they're dead. Tired is sort of hitting the road here. Uh, so Leo came to me and he said, hey, it's something I want to show you under the bridge. You know, it's something that's going to be really cool. Uh, I want to show it to you. Now, I don't know, at that point, it was at night. He already bought a Ouija board once. I mean, the idea of under a bridge at night, Leo's acting weird. Why would I want to do this? I knew he was going to be there with Dawn, and I knew Nancy was going to be there. And, you know, I figured, well, no, maybe, maybe I can talk to her more than I usually do. So I remember meeting her somewhere in Highland Park. Uh, we were going to walk down there. And we were talking, and it was going really well. And the closer I ended up getting to this bridge, the closer I realized that maybe I didn't want to do this. And I just ended up getting this really, really bad feeling. I mean, really bad feeling. At that point, I said, you know what? I really don't want to do this. 
and I, I, I was almost on the verge of convincing Nancy to come back, let's go do something, maybe it could have turned into a date, who knows. And just as where, just as where I made the decision to go, Dawn calls out. And she says, hey, Nancy, guys. And she says, we're here. And that's when you know, I had to make a decision right there. And you know, if I was a braver person, maybe I would have said, or if I was really, I had to make a decision with how much do I want to be with this girl and go down to this thing that I'm just, go do this thing that I'm really uncomfortable with. I ultimately decided that I did not want to go there. So I apologized to her. I said, look, why don't you go? It was fun hanging out. I just, I just don't want to do this. And she, you know, she was actually pretty cool about it. She says, well, Dawn's my friend. I got to go meet her. You know, Leo will be there. Let's find out what he's into. You know, we'll, we'll meet up later. So uh, I turned around. I left. Oh, and then I came across another friend of mine who was going down there, who also knew Nancy, whose name I can't remember. Was it Dave Rock? Yeah, yeah, that's right, Dave Rock. Yeah, thank you. Dave Rock went down also. So I, I guess there were like four people down there. And I don't know how much you folks know about this. Uh, Leo and, and Dawn and uh, Nancy, they all had their, their throats cut with some, some kind of sharp object. People blamed Leo for it. They blamed him for it. They thought that he did it. That's what they thought. He'd kind of gone off the deep end a little bit. But what I heard um, is that Leo, in his possessed state, um, spray-painted stuff under the bridge, uh, like symbols, like, like that word that came out with the Ouija board that didn't make any sense. But I've only actually stopped and looked once, and there was some kind of spray-painted symbols there, and I'm assuming some of that may have been Leo. They were not there before. I'm sure they weren't there before, but that's what I saw, and I just didn't want to go back there again. The details are, are so horrible, uh, and like Dave's my good, good friend, like close friend, and he was involved in it. Dave was the only person who was there that is you know, that lived. He, I don't know how he got away, or if he got away, or whatever. What happened? I, I don't know. The assumption was maybe this is something that happened. Something to go down with Dave. He was immediately exonerated. I don't know why. I don't know how that would have happened. I tried to talk to him, you know, after the funerals for everybody, which sucked. Um, he like said, you know, two words to me, like, and that was that was it. And then, like I said, I haven't seen him since then. Uh, he just kind of he split. Dave lives in California now. You know, I never could get like what happened really or what he experienced. I mean, this is really freaky for like high school students. Can you imagine? If like your friends did this, because we were like 85, we were like sophomores. It was devastating. Do you regret not calling Nancy? Like... That's a quite a question, isn't it? Do you regret it's quite a question. I asked myself that uh, a lot, and I haven't really thought about it a lot lately. I mean, the upside is I'm alive, aren't I? But the downside is maybe I could have done something. Maybe it wouldn't have happened. 
Or maybe I want to be dead. I don't know. I believe that there's bad energy in no man's land. I believe that there's ghosts at the castle. And I can't believe they're building on it. We all agreed on absolutely one thing. That this incident, what happened, this horrible, horrible thing that happened, clearly goes back to no man's land. And I, to this day, have never gone back there to no man's land. I will not go back there. It's the kind of thing that tells me that evil does exist, and you want to stay away from it. After doing all these interviews, Mark and I immediately knew that we needed to talk to one person. That person was Dave Rock. He's the only witness to survive what happened under the bridge that night. And as far as we know, he's told his story to nobody but the police. None of the people who we had spoken to had heard from Dave Rock in over 25 years, but they all agreed that he moved to California. The only question was where. The only rumors that I'd heard was that he had gotten into horror movies in L.A. Um, I hadn't seen anything, but thanks to the magic of IMDb, I was able to find one credit for a guy named Dave Rock on a horror movie called Scarred. That led me to be able to track him down. He is indeed living in the Los Angeles area. Um, but from there, I got to be honest with you, Dave was very unreceptive to talking about this at first. The thing that I think allowed me to convince him was the fact that we'd spoken to Pete. We'd spoken to Neva in particular, who was very tight with him. And just mentioning those names and that they'd, they were taking part in this project uh, really helped open a door. That uh, didn't mean that this was going to be an easy call, that's for sure. Hello? Hello, who is this? It's, hi, I'm Will. And I'm Mark. That's, that's Will that, that's yeah. uh, nephew to Robbie Schwartz and son of Jay Schwartz. Okay, alright, what's up guys? Hey, how are you? Alright. Mark and Will are my sort of point men on the show. They're the hosts of the podcast. And oh yeah. Listen, man. Yeah. Listen, no. I, I know I said. Uh, yeah, I know I said I talked to you guys about this, but I mean, you gotta understand. Uh, I spent like all this time trying to get away from this shit. You know what I mean? And I'm having like nightmares again ever since you mentioned this. Um. Yeah. Now, listen, man. I, to I totally respect. Uh, can I? Can I? Can I give you a sec? A side call for a second? Can we do a little sidebar? Because, uh, you know, I want to talk about things that maybe we don't want to have on the air. All right, all right. I'll call you, I'll call you right back. All right. Jesus Christ. It's your fault, Will. That's crazy. I know. He was spooked. Confidential stuff? I wonder what it sounds like. I know what to do. I know I said I'd talk to you guys about this. Oh, it sounds fine. Oh, one more fact, one more fact, okay? You reserve the, reserve the right to bail, but for now we're going to get it cracked, okay? All right, awesome, we're going to call you right back. Thanks, man. God damn. He's definitely sketchy. If we can get him talking about his childhood, I think that will open up the door. Yeah. Okay, like, because then talk to him about the best times, mm -hmm. they, their, their guard comes down, okay? Oh, man. Hello. Hello. Hi. All right, what do you guys want to know? On the next episode of No Man's Land. You ever have something happen to you that's so fucked up that you don't 
even understand if it's real, like if or if it's a dream. It's just, it's just too outside what we're made to handle, man. And we just something, something snaps. And we just there's some things that you're not meant to see. Highland Park High School by Will Schwartz and produced by Will Schwartz, Mark Ramreka, and John Hume. Sound designed and mixed by Carmen Borgia. Original score by Kevin Wiggins. Our theme song is Inventions by Maserati, and our featured songs are Transmission and Disorder by Joy Division. Special thanks to Nicole Krupski, Toby Record, Over the Moon Toys, Through the Moongate, Principal Mike Lassiter, Stephen Shabon at Pinos, and last but not least, The Flopheads. I got the spirit.